In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 313. That's right. We are talking uh, the first two parts of Zod's Will, which is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, issue 37 and 38. Uh, Mark is taking 37, I'm taking 38. And then once we're done, we've got some of your listener feedback to delve into. So, uh, Mark, go ahead, take it away. I should point out, I do like, I, this must be the variant cover with the Green Lantern power battery and like all, basically, almost like a, <laughs> almost like in memorial, kind of almost like a grave markers with the uniforms of all four of the Earth Green Lanterns on the cover. <laughs> kind of, kind of reminds me of, uh, the death of Superman. Yes, it is, which is appropriate, but it, but yes, it yeah. is a, it is a little like that and it kind of reminded me of like Planet, like the Scarecrows from like Planet of the Apes too, the original. Uh, but yeah. That's one of those little details. Ironically, that's one of those little details I kind of missed about how they were all the uniforms of the four Earth Green Lanterns until, like, I reread this. Uh, I just kind of just thought it was a cool image of, you know, just general Green Lantern uniforms. But, no, that was that was nicely played. Uh, one thing I do, I'm, I'm going to try to be a little succinct in summing this this issue up. One thing I did kind of like, which was just kind of an, I like it just because it was an odd stylistic choice. Now, normally when Robert Venditti begins a story, which is fairly often, beginning a story like in Media Reyes, he always tells us that, like, you know, this is happening now, and then we get a flashback that said, you know, like a, a day ago, or, 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 instead he d- takes a different approach. We, we, we begin with Hal Jordan having gotten his ass kicked royally, and General Zod, the Eradicator, Ursa, and General Zod's and, you know, and their child hovering over his, you know, his battered, broken body, and we see kind of like Kyle beaten down in the background too. But instead of saying like, the, and instead of making it seem like this is now, and what we're about to get is the past, they're telling us that more or less they're flashing forward in this moment. This actually technically hasn't happened yet because they said soon, and everything else in the book is playing out now. So it kind of was an interesting choice, I thought. It doesn't change much, but it just tonally, it was an interesting choice. So the stuff that actually happens now begins in the Guardian Citadel, where John Stewart now basically encounters the Guardians for the first time since they have reestablished themselves. Isn't that nice of them? <laughs> reestablished themselves as you know the, the 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 head or the overseers of the Green Lantern Corps. John Stewart's real pissed at this right away. He says he quits. He doesn't want to deal with them. He doesn't trust them based on every single thing that they've done. You know, all the big some of the biggest problems, and not all the biggest problems, have dealt with over the past. You know, umpteen years is all basically because of been because of Guardians, Blackest Night, Third Army, First Lantern. It all goes back to decisions of the Guardians. 
and Ganset, of course, acknowledges all this, and more or less he says the re- that he really he can't, they acknowledge they can't force John Stewart to stay in as head of the Green Lantern Corps, the commander, but they want him to stay first and foremost because they basically know if the time ever comes when the Guardians do step out of line again, they know John Stewart will be there to stop them and get in their way, and that's seemingly what they want. They basically don't want a yes man; they want somebody who will who is willing to realize what's going on and, and stand up to them. Uh, at this point, we uh, now we have a conversation between Hal and Kyle and John and Guy, and they're all pretty much on the same page. They all seem more loyal to John than the Guardians. They all have doubts about the Guardians. It is kind of interesting where Hal seems a little hard-lined about accepting them back. John kind of points out accurately that they're just looking for a second chance, and of all people, Hal should be able to understand that, which, of course, resonates with us as, a, as readers, not just with – maybe even more so than Hal immediately – but we understand that because of the whole, you know, Emerald Twilight and everything else. So, Ch- Chad's fav- favorite expression, the fl- transluminal space. Kyle and and Hal get sent to check out this. I don't know if it's really an anomaly, but basically, there's an unex- unauthorized resource exploitation uh, going on on this planet. And basically, what we find out is that this is General Zod has set up shop here. This is his home. Once Hal realizes it's Zod, of course, Hal is Hal. He leaps into action, starts attacking first without even potentially engaging in conversation. Uh, Kyle, you know, kind of is absorbing all this. It's like, Zod, Zod? And it's like, well, yeah, he's got a big Z on his chest. So General Zod kind of points out what I did like about, you know, one of the one thing I missed, you know, the most when I, during my imprisonment in the Phantom Zone. And he said, sunshine. And, of course, with that, he breaks through the little construct that Hal was keeping him in, in, caged in and because of course now General Zod basking in the in the yellow sun will be Superman-esque in power uh, Kyle Kyle and Hal pretty much are trying to they're trying to figure out a strategy Hal actually has one but Kyle kind of like screws it up because he tries to tell Kyle get the hell out of here go for help and Kyle says I can't leave you here fighting an evil Superman and he kind of gets cold cocked uh, by Ursa right Ursa, mm-hmm. is that Ursa at that point? So, yeah, it's Ursa. Yeah, so, so pretty much, you know, again, Ursa, Lore, Lorzod, their son, the Eradicator, all this stuff. Hal and Kyle pretty much are engaging them all in battle, but it doesn't go particularly well. They pretty much, they pretty much get their asses handed to them pretty quickly. Uh, and Hal and Kyle almost get beaten to death, not quite. And we find out that Zod really doesn't want them to die at this point because if they did, their rings would just fly off and go to new bearers. And that's and they had better. We have bigger plans. I have bigger plans for these rings. And the the communications that between the ring and Oa, excuse me, Mogo, is interrupted. So Hal can't call for help in the traditional sense. And Hal kind of thinks he, whether he's just being Hal and kind of taunting. Uh, Zod, or just he really believes this, he points out that, you know, you're finished, the Green Lantern Corps will be coming, and Zod points out, then the campaign begins. And that is the relatively brief summary of uh, Zod's Will, part one. Uh, One thing of interest I I wanted to note, first of all, I have no idea how Zod and Ursa and Lord Zod and the Eradicator are here 
Like, did they just recently escape the Phantom Zone? Are they out of the Phantom Zone? I don't know. I have been reading. I've been reading action comics only insofar as what has started to happen with uh, with Jor El. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was before that. I I think that's it's when they brought Cyborg Superman, Hank Henshaw, Cyborg Superman back. I think I believe it was Henshaw's plan to get along with the Henshaw put together like the Revenge Squad with Mongol and the Eradicator and a couple other people. It might have been Metallo. And and what his man and his goal, well, he was trying to get General Zod out, but he thought he could control Zod, and Zod kind of turned the tables. And I think every, almost everybody else, I think, got freed of the Phantom Zone except Cyborg Superman is still locked in there. But I believe that is when uh, Zod and company, Zod, the Zod and family, were freed from the from the Phantom Zone. Okay. Um... Well, that clears that up. So this is very clearly what I'm about to reference is not, and it, it is not like the uh, the prison or anything within the Phantom Zone. But, anyways, uh, the very first panel of this story, you can sort of see those two big arches that sort of intersect and cross over one another. You see that on the splash page or before the splash page? Before oh, I, the splash. I, page. Yes, I see it. Yeah, now I see what you. Okay. Mean. Have you watched Supergirl, like, the first season, like, the first episode of the first season, like, at all? I have not. Okay. So, um, the, the fortress that's in there, the, the, the prison that is, uh, I forget the name of it. Candor. But, uh, no, 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 there's a prison inside of the Phantom Zone. Uh, and it's, it's, it's Fort Roz, sorry. Just, just came back to me. Fort, Fort Roz is in there, and it, and it looks like that. There are two, you know, it, it's 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 a, uh, it's almost like a big gyroscope, you know, with rotating circles that spin and then kind of spin around one another. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, is that so? That's what's happening, right? Fort Fort Roz must have crashed here, and that's how Zod and then came out. Uh, so thank you for clearing that up. And that's a, that that sort of leads me into something else. What the hell happened to Lor Zod? Because the last time I've ever seen Lor Zod. Was back in that, and it's one of the very few Superman trades I own. Uh, but in the Jeff Johns written Superman Last Son, when um, when Lorzad was uh, ejected out of the Phantom Zone and found by by uh, by uh, by Superman, and they didn't know who he was or where he was from until until Zod and Ursa showed back up and tried to claim their son again. But Lord Zod wasn't like, you know, party to Zod and Ursa's whims. Like he was actively rebelling against them in that storyline. I mean, obviously this was this was years ago, um, it, you know. But I just I don't. What the hell happened to Lord Zod? Can't tell you, man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, he was known by he was known. Uh, Superman gave him an Earth name, Chris. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's, what happened there. Uh, I like the art in this. I, I have to say both the, I, have, I like the art, um, uh, on the interiors by Rafa Sandoval, I believe. Uh, and, um, I don't know if this, this variant cover, but definitely the preceding variant covers are all drawn by Tyler Kirkham, who used to do the, uh, art for, uh, New Guardians. That is true. So. Uh, I really enjoy those, and in fact, I believe most of the album art I'll be using while we cover this um, uh, 
but while we cover the story arc are the variants uh, as opposed to the, the main covers, just because I, I really prefer Tyler Kirkman's art. Um, <clears throat> I, think but Sam, yeah, that, I think Sandoval's art is like hit or miss. I mean, I don't like his Kyle. Hal sometimes looks good. Sometimes he doesn't. I think he, I think in this issue in particular, I don't think he does a good John Stewart, but I think he does do, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Zod, Zod and Company. I think he does all of the, the evil, all the evil Superman characters that he does. Uh, I think he does pretty well. But I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of his Kyle and and his Hal's to me is hit or miss depending on. Well, you're you're a big fan of like the death of Superman and like the 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 rise of the Superman. Um, so, what do you think of his Eradicator? Because I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean this this follows this follows the new the the rebirth design of the Eradicator, which essentially kind of sort of captures it comes it comes about as close to recapturing the reign of the Superman look of the Eradicator, other than the fact that instead of having that his cape is not quite as arced. In, that that was one of the things that really made the Eradicator special was he kind of had that arcing cape where the cape was like elevated over his shoulders. But other than that, yes, it's very very similar going back to the yellow visor, which was the reign of the Superman look, as opposed to like the David Connor Eradicator, which had the red visor. So I, I do like in the uniform pretty much completely mirrors, you know, with the with the blue center and the black on the outs. I do I did like the over. I do like the the DC Rebirth version of the Eradicator based on look. I do wish he kind of wasn't a bad guy. I still have always been – at the very least, I kind of like the – if not the out-and-out good guy Eradicator, or at least like the anti-hero Eradicator. But I think he looks fine. I think he – and I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad he has gotten a role in the in the DCU again as opposed to kind of being put on ice for a long time other than the the occasional cameo and – Almost like drifting back to the Krypton Man days of the Eradicator, so it's it's good to see him back in an active role. Uh, other than that, the only other moment I really enjoy in this is the conversation that John has with the Guardians. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I like the way that was handled. I was worried that it would be, you know, one way or the other, but it seemed it seemed like uh, both parties were like understanding that this is a, an uneasy partnership until. You know, one side proves themselves. So, so I, I did enjoy that. Do you have anything else about this issue? Um, I remember, and we can, and this might come into play in the second issue too. I do remember when Corwin asked whether we thought that maybe that whether the Zod was maybe too powerful, whether we thought the representation of a Kryptonian was too powerful, and whether like the Green Lanterns, how you know, a, a Green Lantern, let alone two, should have done better against them. Um, I don't necessarily. I, I mean, you. I certainly do think that under the right circumstances, Hal could probably beat Superman under the right circumstances. But clearly, Hal was also caught off guard a little bit. He certainly didn't have any plan. He didn't have any time to do to do any planning. Not that planning is always Hal's strong suit, but this is not. This was not a great fight to go leaping into. Uh, to leaping before you look. But I think it's yeah, really, and good. Yeah, and, and they're going up against a military strategist general and his wife, <laughs> as well as you know the uh, the uh, some Kryptonian intelligence uh, system. So it's like and and their kid you, and their kid too, who's still super powered. Yeah, well, yeah, the, I'm just talking about outside of the powers. You're talking about a military strategist and his wife, who's 
essentially also a military strategist, given how close closely she's worked with Zod over the years, as well as the Eradicator, who, again, beyond any powers or strengths he may have, is just an, a, a huge level of intellect. So, yeah, I, these, so are, these are not the Kryptonians you want to go up against. Yeah, I, I, I was not. Yeah, I was not by this issue. I was not surprised or did not think it was an unfair representation. Now, if you if you got to the point where, even though again this character you could you could borderline justify it, though it still was a little shaky to me. If you get to the point like an Infinite Crisis where you literally had Superboy Prime almost taking on the entire Green Lantern Corps just by himself, so if you had Zod doing that, then yeah, that would be pushing the envelope. But for the, for what happened in this issue just by itself, I think it was a I don't think the Kryptonians were overpowered. No. All right, next issue. Sure. Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 38. Uh, mine will be a pretty brief recap. But we open where we left off, uh, essentially. This is on the same planet, but we're at the Fortress of Zod, and the uh, people are building his fortress. Hal and Kyle, uh, bereft of rings, are in a, in a um, sort of prison area. Within the fortress, Kyle's got it pretty bad compared to Hal. Um, uh, Zod and family are having dinner. They invite Hal to dinner. Essentially, this whole thing is so that we can get a recap of what happened to Krypton and Green Lantern's, the Green Lantern Corps' role in the destruction of Krypton vis-a-vis Tomar Ray and his, attempt, <laughs> and his, his attempts to uh, save Krypton, and he failed. Um Hal Smartok gets sent back to, into the little prison. Uh, he realizes they're there without the rings, so he says, you know, there's the one thing they don't know is, you know, my ring is me, it is my will. So he recites the oath, concentrates, calls the ring to him. The Eradicator is trying to inspect the rings and out, uh, analyze them. Uh, the ring comes to Hal vis-a-vis going through <laughs> the Eradicator's head. Um, Hal flies him and Kyle out of there. He tries to rally the uh, the locals of this planet to his side to fight Zod uh, until Kyle points out some paintings in, on the wall that uh, they are not slaves. They worship Zod. Uh, Kyle is pretty banged up. So what uh, one of the, one of the uh, uh, individuals kind of spears Hal's construct bubble and it gets through. So Hal makes an executive decision, and he essentially tells the, the ring to pour all its power into keeping Kyle together. He does that, and then he gives the ring a command to fly and, uh, you know, tell uh, John that Zod is here, and he's mining ore that can pierce constructs, and he flies uh, Kyle to Oa. Zod gives the Eradicator command to continue analyzing the ring uh, that's left over, which is Kyle's. Hal turns himself back over, then back on Oa. Um, Kyle shows up. Huh? Mogo. Back on Mogo. Uh, Kyle shows up in an interesting costume and says, Hal needs our help. And next, Hal for a day. (laughs) Yeah, I hate that costume of Kyle's. <laughs> I think they're trying to go with some like merging of Kyle's and Hal's, I guess. I don't know. I guess, but it's still mostly it's I guess it's most it's it still to me looks like mostly Kyle's. 
Just with the chest yeah. thing all screwed up. I guess, but, but yeah, that's what I think that's what they're going for. What do you think of this one? Well, I like the art better in this one, but it's Van Skyver, so I guess that would kind of make sense. Uh, doesn't always doesn't always work like that. I mean, the splash page of Kyle when he's getting the ring, I don't I don't like that. I think I think Zod looks really good. Uh, the Eradicator looks really good. Ursa looks really good. I, a, I, a lot of the more subtle panels, like when they're in, in their pseudo fortress of solitude, there when they're having dinner and things like that, I do, I do like that. Uh, I do like the concept. I do like the fact they're that they're acknowledging what should have been the case to begin with, which was Hal's ring is different and it behaves differently, very differently, not just because Hal can call it to him, which you really, which you would think most Green Lanterns should be able to do, regardless if they had enough willpower. But just the idea that literally Hal can like will his ring to go to somebody else and have that ring still obey, kind of like still technically be obeying him. And as we as we find out uh, going forward that it's not it, that the ring, much like we're seeing with Jessica's ring to a certain extent, that that ring has personality. That kind of like a variation on that that Hal's ring has not just personality. That Hal's ring has Hal's personality. <laughs> So I, I I think I think that's that's kind of a nice touch in this. So I think I like I think I liked this issue more than mine. Yeah, I, th- I mean I thought it was well done. I just what do you think of the the power level of Kai, of House Ring here? Oh, uh, what in particular that, that he's able to get the way he's able to use use it to just get Kyle out of there, or just yeah. I mean yeah, that 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 can be part of it for sure. Well, I think I think this is this is kind of like the yin and yang. This kind of balances out. Again, going back to what Corwin, I think, was asking whether whether it was a problem that Hal got Hal was kind of like taken out so easily, and now we kind of see Hal using a little more using a little more strategy, and Hal using his ring in a little more intelligent fashion than just trying to bludgeon his way through stuff. And you get to and maybe again sometimes. I guess you, maybe you can make the case that sometimes because he hasn't had this ring all that long, that maybe sometimes Hal almost kind of like forgets that this ring can do things that differently than the, the way he used to be able to do it. That it that it isn't just a, a one-trick pony. So I think maybe there's an element of that too, that sometimes Hal has – that it takes the right push for Hal to remember that, oh, this ring can do things other rings can't, and I don't – and maybe I should kind of like use it in that fashion. I also didn't have an issue with it because Hal's ring is different. I still don't think we've gotten a full explanation for how different it is uh, and what its full potential is. But I, but I, but we knew from the very beginning of the series how everybody was responding to him forging, forging that ring himself. That that was a pretty big deal. So I think this is just a further elaborating on that a little bit further. Uh, and for those of you curious of what uh, the story that Zod re- references of Tomar Ray failing to save uh, Krypton, um, that took place way back in uh, Superman number 257, which was, I believe, from the early 70s. Um, Jim and I covered that back on, like, episode five of the Elseworlds spinoff, Lanterncast Presents Elseworlds. Uh, that was, uh, April 27th of 2011. You can still find that, uh, episode on the website. Um, but we talk about some of our favorite, uh, Superman, 
uh, one of our favorite Superman stories um, that was sort of Elseworldsy, and then we throw this one in there for good measure. So if you've ever, if you can't, if you don't have that story, you never read it, but you want to hear the Lantern Cast covering it in some aspect, go find Lantern Cast presents Elseworlds number five, uh, episode number five, entitled Super Green Lantern Man. Um, Mark, have you, you've read that story before, correct? I mean, I, I believe it's free on the internet. You can find it, the, the images of it. It's only like four or five pages. I think I may have seen a page or two. I, I would be lying if I said I absolutely remember <clears throat> reading that story completely. But yeah, just for those of you who are familiar, or, or, or not familiar, for those of you who are curious about uh, that story and wanting to read that, that's that's where you'll find that. A backup tale from Superman number 257 from the early 70s. All right, anything else about this issue? No, I, I think there was good... I like the setup in this issue more than than in the first part. I think uh, this... It's, again, it's like a chess match, which would make sense. The first the first move was by Zod, and, and it looked successful. And the second move, Hal kind of, like, figured out a way to, like, maybe maybe balance out the equation. But then again, you don't know how much of this was maybe anticipated by Zod to begin with at this point. Just reading two parts in. So, it's again, it, it is... It is kind of like a chess a chess match, and I kind of I kind of do appreciate that. All righty, sounds good. Um, we are going to go ahead and jump into feedback, guys. Um, and uh, Mark, what do you want to tackle first? Uh, let's leave the voicemails to the end. Do you want to? Uh, you want me to read ti- read Tyler's website yeah, comment? Um, I know I, re- I know I actually replied to it. So, um, so this was in. It actually was directly a direct response to the Dr. DC episode we did, hours 309. So Tyler said, this is my first episode I listened to, so I don't completely know your views on all the newer Green Lantern stuff. But the one I would like to add to the top five moments may be a bit controversial. I agree with pretty much all your choices as great and important stories, but I would personally add Green Lantern's issue 15, this is the story a day in life. Uh, this issue just goes through a normal day for Jessica Cruz dealing with her essentially P- her PTSD and anxiety. It showed the issue in a fantastic way through the art and story. Jessica has been one of my favorite characters to come out of the last couple of years, and a lot of the reason why is this issue. She goes through this every day, and while sometimes she may feel like she shouldn't be a lantern, she proves that she has the will to be an amazing lantern every time she gets out of bed. PTSD, depression, and anxiety are some of the hardest issues people have to deal with, and Jessica being able to work through her fears and anxiety show just how much willpower she really does have. Also, I came over from the Dr. DC podcast, in case this being my first episode did make that obvious. I like this episode. I'm going to try to listen to some of the other episodes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Um, I mean, he's, he's got a good point. Look, guys, we I don't want to speak for Mark, but I, I, I will say we just – you can correct me if I'm wrong. We kind of rag on the uh, the Green Lanterns title and and Jessica and Simon, but but, but more so Simon. Um, and but I think at the same time, both Mark and I understand there are quite a few people out there who do enjoy that title. Uh, I mean that's that's but that's that's kind of a cop out because that's going to be the same with basically every comic book on the market. Somebody, no matter how crappy a comic book you think a certain series is, that's somebody's favorite title. Somewhere out there is really enjoying that title. Um, and I can see with her being Latina, with her being, uh, 
you know, dealing with PTSD, uh, with her being a woman. I mean, there's, there's several different ways and reasons people would find Jessica Cruz an interesting character and, and wanting to, um, and wanting to be uh, following her and, and enjoying that series. So I agree with you. I think it's important, and I think uh, Jessica is worthy of, of paying attention to. I just don't think that particular series is doing either character the maximum amount of justice. Now, whether Mark shares all of those opinions 100%, I'm sure he'll tell you now. <laughs> but uh, that's sort of how I view our look on uh the the Green Lantern's title. That was amazing, Chad. Everything you said is absolutely wrong. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> since since that that was my little Last Jedi throw, and since since we'll, we'll be going back to Last Jedi for a few for listener feedback and a few other things at the end of the episode, I I just couldn't resist that. I do understand why for someone again for someone who has not been reading Green Lantern, a spe- and I'm not putting words into Tyler's mouth, but someone in general, let's say, who hasn't had a huge background with Green Lantern and hasn't gone through a lot of the, even the more recent big stories and big events like Sinestro Corps War, Blackest Night, let alone stuff before, I could understand why why the PTSD thing could be super relatable, and everybody can relate to it to a certain extent. I absolutely agree. Yes, yeah, and we'll talk about this too when uh, in Corwin's voicemail. Uh, Simon is, for different reasons, is clearly the albatross of the, of the two of them in that book. I mean, Simon is, really helps nobody at this point. But it's not that this wasn't an important story. It's an important story in the current. If you're looking at the current volumes of of the of Green Lantern and Hal and the Core, the current incarnation of those of the of the family, the Green Lantern family of books. So if you were looking at important issues that have happened in each of those titles since they started, yeah, that if that, if that was going to be our criteria, that would make sense. That was a, that was an, that was important, and that's also not to say that going forward, depending what happens to Jessica going forward, and if Jessica really becomes a huge Green Lantern icon and become and, and ends up being worthy, let's say reputation-wise and everything else, and and fan base wise and everything that she basically be, joins into the four corpsmen and of course I only say cores instead of core just because it's kind of like sounds more like horsemen. I know it really should be core, you know, the, the corpsmen, but still, that 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 happens with Jessica, then you could definitely go back and see why this would be an important, almost like an almost not quite an origin story, but something almost as relevant to her. But if you look at the big picture of all the stuff that happened in Green Lantern history. And you know, Jessica dealing with that, I don't think would meet you would, would even meet the basic cut. Not because it's not important to her character, or not because it wasn't a good story, but it just doesn't. You know, it's just not. It just wouldn't rank in a lot of the big picture lists. Again, depending on what your knowledge base is and how much Green Lantern you've been reading. Only been reading Green Lantern in the past couple of years, sure. You've been reading Green Lantern in the past five to ten years, probably not. More than ten years, I would say definitely not. But that's also not. But mind you, we we, I don't, we didn't include anything from Hal Jordan and the core either. So it's not like we're just pick, picking on that book. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> All right, I'll go ahead and take Deron or Deron. How's that sound? How about Darren? It could be Darren. Yeah. <laughs> Darren. Either way, D man, it's all you. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's commenting on the last episode that we posted review of How's Working with the Atlantic Quarter, episode 308. Uh, great job as always, guys. Considering the overcrowding of this book and the before-mentioned idea of potential anthology series down the line, uh, I am in total agreement, though it feels like a, a dream at this point. In any event, would you guys be open to spotlighting characters in future episodes, particular, perhaps particular issues or arcs featuring lanterns like Sodom Yat, Aresia, St. Walker, Kilowog, etc. down the road? Just a suggestion, keep up the great work. We've actually talked about this. Yeah, I think we already. have. Um, not necessarily all of those specific characters, but we have talked about doing like many episodes about those sorts of characters. Um even doing uh, spotlight episodes, uh, too, on various eras uh, of Green Lantern and other titles. I won't go into deep in detail on that, because all we did was say that was an idea and say we're down for it. And beyond that, we haven't talked about it beyond that. So I don't want to set up expectations on that one. Um, but I did have an idea a while back about doing a spotlight on Airwave. <laughs> uh, so, but yes, we have talked about doing spotlights and sort of... a. Uh, you know, kind of feature episodes about the history or the, um, a, a, you know, maybe like half history, half good story, uh, featuring certain characters. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that we've discussed, but whether or not it's coming to you in the next month or two, probably not, but it probably, you know, maybe it would be safe to say one would be one episode of that ilk will be out this year, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I think is that's broad enough a range that we probably could, some, no matter what it is, we probably can do our best to fit that fit that prediction or fulfill that prediction, I think. All right. And, and you know, it might be like somebody else that you didn't mention, like Green Lantern Metaphil. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because I just finally completed my trade paperback run of uh, Swamp Thing the Alan Moore collection, and there is a Metaphil story in there. Um, so that would be a very easy one to highlight. Um, all right, where do you want to go from here? Um, oh, actually, before we move on, I wanted to tell people, thank you both to Tyler and Darren for leaving those uh, comments on the website. We don't get a ton of comments on the website directly. In fact, I check probably at least once a week uh, to try and clear out the cache of comments, and my spam, god, did we spam? <laughs> yeah, my god, does our website get a shit ton of spam comments from people selling pills to people advertising porn sites to um, proxy servers trying just, to scam I just, us? I was just gonna say proxy is the, is the new keyword because when I cleaned it out like a like a week or. A week or a week and a half ago, every single email of his junk all had pro had proxy, like either in the subject or the or the email address that it came from. So that was kind of funny. I mean, if we if we leave it alone for like a week or two, guys, I promise when we come back to it, it'll be like 140 unread comments to sift through, and every single one of them will be spam. So don't be surprised if you leave a comment on our website and we don't get to it pretty quickly. But quite honestly. All we do is ever get spam, and we try to try and try to find uh, that uh, the actual content in there. So I'm going to go ahead and say it, carte blanche. If you're listening to our show, and the way in which you leave us feedback is directly on our website, that feedback gets priority to be read on the show. 
<laughs> because you are taking a huge gamble that your message is even going to be getting through to us, and it will eventually. It's just we have to sh- sift through a, a, a shit ton of spam. So when we sh- uh, sift through that spam and see an actual comment, it's like a little golden reward for us. Like, oh, my God, there's something actually here. Holy crap. So we get real excited when we see it. So the more people who are leaving actual comments related to our content on the posts on our website, we're probably most likely, unless it's like, you know, a one sentence thing where you just want a direct response or whatever, going to read that feedback on the air. <laughs> we, you can you can tell how happy this makes Chad. So. <laughs> Please, please give us more comments directly on the site. Hashtag gives Chad a chubby, but please. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm pretty careful when I sift when I go through the through the junk. I mean, I forget how many messages I are on the screen at a time. I have it set for. It might be like it's either 25 or 50. So I do scroll down pretty quick. But it's you know you know what I I don't know how you approach it. Normally, what I try to do is I just go by instead of doing them all together. Oftentimes, I'll just go by the page. And try to clean them out a page at a time, whichever, because then yeah. I think that makes it easier not to delete something you don't want to delete. Uh, well, I hit I hit select all, and then I scroll through and see if it you know the address says proxies or, or whatever. Um, and if there's anything actually in there, I unselect it. Right. And then then I hit you know mark all as spam. Yeah, I kind <laughs> I kind of sort of do the same thing, but a lot of times. A lot of times I will go directly to, I'll look at the initial, you know, the initial breakdown like on posts and stuff and, and take a look at where the, they'll tell you like, uh, you'll see like uh, episode 310 and there'll be like four, there'll be like four, four or five posts to that one. So usually I'll click on, I'll click over there and just see the posts all related to that one page. And then it's really easy to find out whether it's, ju- whether it's junk or not. But either and way. you, we. Well, you usually have a, uh, it used to be like open season, <laughs> uh, on all the posts. But what I did was I changed the settings so that after a few weeks, like several weeks, not just two, but like three or four weeks, the comments are closed on the posts. That way we're not getting inundated with, with all of the spam, uh, continuously. We still get it on the, on the recent stuff. But so if you guys are listening to the episodes, you've got like, two or three weeks to leave us a comment on the directly on the post. Um, and then after that, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see uh, towards the bottom of each post on the main, on the main page, it'll say comments, you know, comments there, or it'll say comments closed, in which case that particular post has been our website for several weeks. And through the automated system, those comments are now closed. And you can of course just email us or send us a voicemail or something. <clears throat> Makes perfect sense. All right, where are we going from here? Uh, let's oh, let's do let's let's rattle off. Let me rattle off two of the twitters. Um, okay. So we'll do Brian's. I right, I let me just read them and then we'll and then how about read read his and Jack's and then we'll just respond. Are you okay, okay with that? Uh, so Brian's, I listen to your show, but I especially like the episodes about older storylines and just general input. I love an episode about the Kyle Rayner Superboy arc, False Idols. Low-key favorite of mine, laugh out loud. Uh, 
Jack writes, uh, I've listened to every episode. If you're looking for a new direction, I would recommend changing your issue review format. For example, you can invite uh, guest reviewers to liven up and make it more fun for you. You could also drop the issue breakdown and instead skip right to a review of each arc and look at how the arc fits in with past stories and potential future stories. This could also be a chance for listeners to add review input on Green Lantern direction. Um, let me explain the content of this real quick, if that's okay. Um, I posted on the 22nd on Twitter a poll asking people, why do you follow us? Um, you know, no judgment zone. If you don't listen to a snowball rating will occur. And there are four options. I listen to the show. I like Green Lantern. Looking for GL News. And a friend said so. That poll, which is open for several days, got 32 votes. The mass, the, the vast majority of them, 63%, said, I like a Green Lantern. Next below that, 22% said they listened to the show. 13% said they're looking for Green Lantern related news. And 2% said a friend said so. Uh, and I did a similar poll over on Facebook. And uh, there were 12 votes. 75% said they listened to the show. And 25% said they liked Green Lantern. Um, so obviously on Twitter, we get more people following us who just like Green Lantern and want to follow all Green Lantern related stuff. And more people on Facebook follow us because they actually listen to our show. So that is what sort of prompted the, this, uh, this sort of feedback. Um, so we did talk about doing false idols because, and we have been looking for, uh, some, uh, like Kyle Rayner arcs that we haven't covered in the past to do again, but that aren't too long, <laughs> like say like Dark Circle and stuff. <laughs> you mean Circle of um, Fire? What was Circle Dark of Fire. What was Dark Circle? Is it the crossover with Green Arrow? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I do kind of remember that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if that was that was. Yeah, it, I know what you mean. If I think that might have been the title, but I, I, I in my mind's eye, I kind of, I kind of see those issues now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, but but uh, we did talk about doing um, the false idols thing, and uh, yeah, nay. Like I said, as long as as long as you have the issues, in case I don't have, to, in case I have a too much of a challenge digging them out through my treasure troves of of tubs and boxes, then yeah, I have no I. From an interest perspective, yes. I mean, I know I, I, I know I should have all those issues because I was actually reading Superboy at the time along with Green Lantern. So unless there was an issue that was never pulled from me or I never was able to get, I should have I should have those. Uh, we speaking of Kyle, probably one thing we should do soon is that Green Lantern Year One annual that we kind of wanted to do last year that we never did. But Hal and, and I also and I and I still want to do three of a kind. Which one was three? Was, which one was three of a kind? That was the one with the interconnecting cover of Flash, Green Arrow, and uh, and uh, Kyle saving people saving people from the uh, the cruise ship. Oh yeah, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yep. At some point, I'd like to do that too. Um, I'm not sure if I have the digital issues of the Superboy. I'll have to check my archives. Pro- I probably do, but. I just want to double check. Um, I can, dig, I can, dig, I mean, I can dig if, if as long as we have enough, I have enough prep time. I mean, I can, I can dig. It's just, it'll be harder to find the Superboy parts, anything that's not in Green Lantern, because that's not necessarily in my, my most of my Green Lantern stuff is 
they're in specific tubs just with Green Lantern or boxes in Green Lantern stuff. Stuff that isn't, then it could be then it, they're in other tubs and there could be a lot of it could be a lot of work involved for some things. So that would be that's that's only the only negative to some some of these things is is actually lo- physically locating the issues for me, not not the not the interest. Uh, but anything any of those things I'm I, I'm I'm down to do. Uh, so it's probably safe to say we'll we'll do there's a bu- there's actually a bunch of Kyle things that we you know not just like Green Lantern annual the 80 page giant um, on Apocalypse things that we wanted we th- almost did last year but between issue three episode 300 and running out of time at the end of the at the end of the year we never got to so those will probably absolutely be things what we will do this year probably not even too far down the road just because we're going to have time depending on how we break up and do the do the issue reviews speaking of yeah you want to talk about that by the way oh uh let me yeah let's let's talk about let's kind of address a few of jack's concepts uh uh, in general, yeah, we're not we're not against doing some changes in the way we do issue reviews as far as – and borderline, this kind of was maybe almost like a first attempt to do that uh, because we didn't go into as much detail as we normally do. But we certainly are open to doing it in different ways. We are certainly are – we're certainly are open to bringing guest, re, guest reviewers too and to have – even if – even if it's not necessarily making them even – I mean if they really want to, I'm mean, sure they could do an issue breakdown themselves or just be there to do the commenting and to talk about what – give them the first opportunity to talk about things they liked and they didn't and, and whatever issues we're talking about. Yeah, that's all possible. That's all on the table. I mean I certainly think we're open to that. I don't think so. Yeah, I think in general terms we're, we're open to new ways of doing things or just throwing a curveball once in a while. In general – terms about the way we were I and this is the way I don't think either one of us were on a different page about this but to me I always thought this is the way we were approaching it that we were there was no set way how we were going to do issue reviews that it fell into our laps not just in the beginning of the year when we were trying to catch up and at the end when we had other things we had to do it made sense to do arcs because so many arcs were like three or four issues and it cut that you know it we had other things we wanted to do. It made sense to do it by arc, and then there's but there's other times when we did it last year still by month, as in doing one one episode a month for for Hal, one episode for Green Lanterns, and probably going forward it's going to be it's not going to be just one or the other. It's greatly going to depend on what's our what's going on with us, what's going on with the material, what's going on with our recording schedule, what else we have planned. Bec- because sometimes you would think you would think having just doing arcs would be really cool because that means basically like every two months we have to do one recording for each book, one for each book in every two months. If since most arcs have been four issues lately, but sometimes that doesn't always. Sometimes I guess almost like a variation on the whole idle hands is the devil's playground or uh, work. Or tool chest, or tool, you know, all of the variations on that basic concept. That sometimes having too much time in your hands and too much freedom is just as is uh, problematic as having not enough when it comes to recording. And sometimes we have trouble kind of figuring out exactly how to approach this, or what to do, especially if we're trying to pull something together short, you know, in, in a short period of time. That all being said, 
our really our approach going forward for this year isn't changing dramatically. There really is going to be no noticeable shift. This is kind of the way it's always been. It's kind of more like lifting the veil. But there may be times in this year, by luck of the draw, that you end up getting like more close, more than more three episodes than four. We're always going to try to do four, if for no other reason, because Chad and I, I think, agree with this too. That you never, we all know during the course of the year, there's going to be things that come up that prevent us from recording. <laughs> So we don't like scheduling a bye week just for the hell of it ahead of time for no real reason other than, oh, let's just take the week of March 23rd off. We really don't try to do that. That being said, there may be times just because of the material, because of where we are, we just figure this might be a good time to take to take a break. Sometimes, it's, and this is, and this, I'm, I have equal frustration at times with the material. I think I think you're a little more susceptible to the true burnout effect. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I kind of get burned out, but I'm but I but I know we have to do it, so I don't really. I just I am willing to muddle through it. Not that you aren't, but we still run the risk of half-assing it if we really are get to that point where we really are disgruntled with stuff. So sometimes it's good to take a it's good to take a break, especially if we can't figure out a non-regular issue review, current continuity issue review episode to come up with and sometimes it's good just so we don't do a lot of issue reviews back to back to back but yeah i mean and you guys probably have noticed i mean the bye weeks can be even really random like for instance let's say you know you guys have noticed most episodes drop friday mornings now uh we used you know a long time ago we used to do tuesdays and thursdays and and nowadays we're releasing pretty regularly on friday mornings um but let's say mark and i for whatever reason, can't record until like Thursday. I mean, I, I, you know, I would have to edit it and get it up and do it, you know, so it's basically as soon as we record, uh, as soon as we, you know, end the Skype call, I'd have to, uh, be in audacity editing, throw it up code, blah, blah, blah. And that's just a shit ton of work. And Marcus seems to be of the idea. Uh, and I, I tend to agree with him that there's no point in releasing during a weekend, so we might as well wait until next week. Um, so there are even instances like that where we, again, the bye week isn't planned. It's just out of, out of necessity, something like that will make us skip a week. Um, so we don't want you guys, we don't, we don't want to outright say, guys, every Friday, every week from now to the end of the year, there will be a Lantern Cast episode. We certainly want to strive for that, but we don't, we don't want to promise it because we know based on, you know, the past four years that we've done this, that that doesn't, that's not realistic and that doesn't always happen. We've gotten in great like rhythms where we're like, we're just really on fire. We're planning like six episodes ahead. We even plan the date we're going to record several episodes ahead and so on and so forth. But then there are times where just shit hits the fan and we're a little scatterbrained and, disorderly we got shit going on in our own lives blah 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 so yeah what mark said we're, we're going to try to release as many episodes as we can every friday but just just know that if we skip a week don't freak out on us <laughs> right uh, and as yeah. and as for the reviews um he uh, he mentioned sort of eschewing the reviews in terms of like the recap and just sort of commenting on the uh on the issues uh, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I don't think we should do that. I think I, I think at the very at, at the maximum, the, the far end of the spectrum, we could take that. You and I discussed this a bit. Was we will like pre-write a recap of the issue, but like a one-paragraph sort of 
short shorthand recap because we both know that there are people who listen to our show who don't read one or the other title but listen to the episodes to just keep up on what's happening so if we strictly keep to a commentary only instead of any sort you know instead of doing uh, any sort of recap before that then we're just going to confuse some people who are actively listening to us to try and keep up with the other title yeah i agree i i'm not prone to want to go into the recap mode i think i think the, the the closest thing we would get probably would be again this episode was kind of like almost like a pseudo preview of that where where we would don't we we would try to keep maybe try to keep the issue review and or discussion about about each issue we're talking about you know under 10 minutes each time including not just the description but back and forth and pointing out things we liked and didn't like i think that would probably be that kind, that kind of shortening of the the actual recap the actual making it less panel by panel page by page and more basic plot and and highlights and lowlights of the issue i think that is something that's that's probably realistically the most i think we both would be comfortable with and that's why this this way of doing not that there was i mean again it's not saying the material was bad at all there wasn't a whole lot i mean there wasn't a whole lot to rip to dig deep into i think in either one of these issues so i think it was good to try to test this this time just to do the highlights to do the beats uh so you can let us know if you if you'd like that better or you actually do or do you prefer it when we like break down the episodes more i mean, I mean the issues in the episodes more I kind of suspected part of the reason why that suggestion was made for the recapping was just because of the our not you know our our not so hidden lack of enthusiasm for the material and maybe that would lessen it coming out more uh, even if it's just because it gives us less things to comment to comment on or, or to point out which is more me than you I tend to do more running commentary in in my individual review usually than you do. But maybe I think that might be part of, part of the point and or not because it's people are getting mad at us being blah. It's just a maybe for our own well-being that we don't have to that if we don't have to spend as much time delving back into it, then maybe it's but I'm OK. I mean, I'm trying to be glass half full because I know we're, we're knocking on the door of issue 50 for both of these books. I mean, before probably like in one more month's worth of solicits, we're really going to be close to issue 50 in uh both titles because we already know you know we already know that the you know the the dark star arc is coming next after the zod arc and how and we know the arc related to jessica's ring and everything else that's coming up after this whole in this superhuman trafficking thing uh so as we build closer to issue 50s i mean i'm trying to be optimistic because you kind of assume like how in the core that issue 50 even you, you, we assume it have, will have parallax in it since issue 50s tend to have fit parallax in it. But you would think very likely there'll be Sinestro related to building up to issue 50. Maybe very well the Sinestro core since we haven't seen them in a bunch of – and it'll be over with 20-something issues that we've even seen Sora in a company. So that could be all factoring into the arc that culminates in issue 50. 
in that book. So I, I'm kind of holding out hope that that, you know, that there's going to be, including hope, we could see Saint Walker and his new Blue Lantern Corps. Even if we can take it to the bank, there won't be anything done with the old Blue Lantern Corps, if ever, until the whole Doctor Manhattan thing is wrapped up, which now won't be till 2019 sometime. But Saint Walker could show up too. I mean, you never know because he's been gone for like it'll be over 30 issues, I think, since he'll be gone. So I'm holding out hope that there's going to be something interesting coming as we're getting closer to the 50th issue. So it's not that I, I'm completely mailed it in about the material. I just think, like Chad mentioned earlier, it, we clearly have more enthusiasm. The, enthousi- the enthusiasm that remains for the most part right now is, is mostly being directed towards uh, Hal and the core. And we both like Jessica, but that book really isn't doing a lot for us overall. So, but we're... But you know we're gonna try to do we're gonna try to do justice to the material and not try to mail it in. It's just as we've kind of said before, it's just a sad reality. We're, we are we are not exactly in the golden age of material to cover compared to if we had if we were just beginning the Jeff Johns era where we would be so happy. <laughs> All right, we're well before we spin into the voicemails, which is all we got left. Um, I, I, Mark, it does have like you mentioned some of the uh, Star Wars stuff you wanted to talk about at the end. So I don't want to cut into that, uh, or, you know, he's going to get into that, and then I throw in a bunch of other stuff at the end. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw this in here now. There's a, just a couple of the things I wanted to mention rapid fire real quick. Uh, as we record this, today is Tuesday, March 6th. Uh, Thor Ragnarok came out on Blu-ray today. I picked that up, so if you guys were interested and enjoyed that movie or whatever, it's been out on digital. I mentioned it last episode that it would be coming out pretty soon. Um, but it is now out today. Go pick it up. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, I will be seeing Wrinkle in Time on opening night Thursday, Thursday, March 8th. So next episode, expect some spoilers towards the end of that episode for Wrinkle in Time. So if you don't, if you haven't seen Mar- Wrinkle in Time yet, or if you plan on seeing Wrinkle in Time and want to listen to some of our thoughts, because it was one of my top five uh, movies, um, see it before next Friday. Um, or, you know. <laughs> wait to listen to that episode until then, uh, until you see it. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to mention, the same day, Thursday, March 8th, Jessica Jones Season 2 will be out on Netflix. And I am on record as really enjoying that show. Mark, I can't remember if it's one of your favorites or if you're just sort of like some other people, meh, on it. But Jessica Jones Season 2 will be out on Thursday, March 8th, and I'm super stoked for it. So uh, as you guys listen to this, if you listen to it the day it comes out, yesterday. So if you got Netflix, go there, and you will see Jessica Jones Season 2. I don't know if you're enthused about that as I am, but I am. I, oh, and the trailer for Luke Cage came out today, yes, Season 2. Yes, uh, I am... I don't like Jessica. I don't like her character so much. Even though I like, I she was more likable in the Defenders, and she certainly was in her own show. So, depending on the context of of how she is related to in season two, if it's somewhat similar to how she was in the, the Defenders, maybe I'll like it more. I don't like Kristen Ritter. I've said that before. I so and her and I know Jessica Jones is not supposed to be inherently likable and congratulations you succeed, uh, but that makes it hard for me to actually watch it. I watched all of I watched all of, of that season, 
I watched all of Luke Cage. I like Luke Cage better. I liked. I mentioned I liked Iron Fist. I did not. I have to go back and finish the Punisher because I I fell asleep and fall went off the went off the rail somewhere like in episode four or something of the Punisher, and I've never gotten back to finish it. I was somewhat interested, not a lot, not greatly interested. So I'll have to. I will. I'm going to give that a shot and go back to. But yeah, I will. Get, I certainly will give Jessica Jones a shot. But I it could very easily, you know, derail me quickly but well but i will give it a shot don't you want to mention the green lantern movie thing too uh there's that uh i also wanted to mention one other thing guys this episode comes out thursday march 9th i mean friday friday march 9th next episode will be the previous or or will be following will be next friday so (laughs) yeah i'm sorry i'm I'm losing i'm losing i'm losing my whatever anyways in between this episode and next episode is a Wednesday, and on that Wednesday, Green Lantern Earth One Volume One hits stores. I've been super stoked for this. I've been reading most every article I could find, interview with the creative team, reading preview pages, etc. Will that be the topic of next episode? Unlikely, unless Mark can somehow pick up his stuff and read it ASAP. I don't think we'll be doing that because, again, it's, it comes out on a Wednesday. It's an entire trade. We'd have to read an entire trade and then record, edit, and post Thursday night. <laughs> so I don't know. But expect a review relatively soon because I am excited for this book. And I will be leaving my job site during during my lunch break to go to the nearest comic book store to my to, to my work to pick up this copy. I won't even be waiting until... You know, I clock out for the day at 6 p.m. I am going to go during my lunch break to pick this up and get it as soon as possible on that Wednesday. And then after he goes on his lunch break and gets it, Chad will be going straight to the bathroom for the next two hours. <laughs> Are you okay in there? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to get my hands on that and read it ASAP. Will it be reviewed next week? Unless we just really feel like we're super impressed with the material and want to just <laughs> beast mode an episode? Unlikely, but expect a review really soon on that one because I'm excited for that content. Yeah. And it'll something. That, yeah, I'm sorry. That'll that'll that would be something another a new issue review that isn't current. You know, that is isn't co- current continuity. So that would be a that would be a nice break. You know, that would be a, a it would be a issue review, but yet you know we it 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 be it fits all the basic criteria we like. I think we're looking forward to do Green Lantern related episodes that beyond the normal, the normal issue reviews, current issue reviews. So yeah, I think that I think that's a that that's a good call. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, just as as a as another side note, um, just uh, under under the banner of you know, I'm I'm you know comics that that I'm reading. And, and enjoying outside of DC, another trade paperback that comes out this same day is the Port of Earth series from Image. So if any of you have been enjoying Port of Earth along with me, uh, that trade comes out that same day. Um, it's really, really good. Um, but yeah, let's uh, switch gears and talk about the Green Lantern news that I was railing against today <laughs> on social media. And surprisingly, it wasn't act, it actually wasn't related to MovieWeb, which is like 
like I said pre- on a previous episode, Movie Web has kind of taken over in general as new from from Newsarama as a website that we just just want to bash their heads against the wall more more times than not lately. But go ahead. So uh, I don't know his name. I'm not going to bother to look it up because it's not really news. Um, they have been saying that he's not even officially tied to it. It's rumored that the WB is in talks to attach the director of the Mission Impossible movie to Green Lantern Corps. Now, that was an article that came out earlier today. Immediately following that, Screen Rant, which is not absolved in their, uh, <laughs> in their efforts to, uh, rid the world of uh, of uh, clickbait, which they aren't. Um, them, MovieWeb, ComicBook.com, ComicBook Resources, Bleeding Cool, etc., um, are all pretty damn guilty of it lately. Decided to go ahead and post an article about how, because this particular director is tied to it, it means it's way more likely now that Tom Cruise, who is on the shortlist for one of the supposed shortlists, no pun, for actors no to pun play intended half- with the shortlist comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the rumored supposed shortlist to play Hal Jordan, uh, that means it's way more likely now that Tom Cruise will be playing Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps movie. Fuck you, Screen Rant. <laughs> wow, it Chad. doesn't wow. mean <laughs> dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> Uh, seriously, it doesn't mean anything, folks. First of all, this director, Mark, what's his name? Macquarie, right? I, I don't know. I didn't watch. I think it's. Hold on. Let's go. Let's go back to the. Let's go back to the to the magic article here. Uh, I thought it was and, and, and the word "article" is in uh, Air Bunnies, by the way, yeah. folks. Um, but yeah, it's rumored, rumored that this director is in talks to be attached to this movie that we haven't heard any news about recently. So he's not even officially confirmed as attached to it. And even if he was, I made the point on social media, Flashpoint has had multiple directors, Gambit's had multiple directors, Venom even had multiple directors, all announced to be attached to certain projects, and then what? They up and left the project. Surprise, surprise. So this isn't, it's a rumor of a rumor. And they took that information and decided to post an entire article about how it's likely now, more likely, that Tom Cruise will now be Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps movie. The hell is going on? It is Macquarie, as people will probably figure out when they hear the when they they they, they hear this magic whooshing sound when I went to click on the on the page of the article and I started playing music. So people will know when they hear that when they get to that point of this episode. That's when I confirmed it was Macquarie. <laughs> it's the director's name. Um, yeah, I mean the the reality. I I gotta be honest with you. Based on the way things are going with with DC, I th- I think there's more of a chance that this movie is just never going to happen than than, than, Tom, than Tom Cruise being Hal Jordan. Not that it's a, not that it no pun intended. It is not an impossibility. It's just the fact that yeah, it is making a lot out of nothing. And as we talked about, you know, either last episode or the ep- I think it was last episode, 
Uh, one minute, you know, it looked like Batgirl was a higher priority to them. Then, like, the day after we recorded it, all of a sudden, Whedon gets fired or quits. And, and then Batgirl's pushed back to the back burner because they wanted to make sure the, the Matt Reeves Batman movie, if that ever happens, comes out first. Talk about a movie that's been, like, in production hell. That, and yet, and this is, like, the, the closest thing to news we've had about, about Green Lantern core in a long time. And it actually, it makes sense why, because we just talked about how D- what, what David Goyer said, oh, I have nothing new to talk about the project, which probably makes sense because supposedly since Macquarie writes everything that he directs, if he did get this gig, that probably means uh, Goyer's role in working any more or any further on the Green Lantern Corps project is over, that Macquarie will, either, will completely either rewrite or write a script or take what Goyer wrote and just rewrite it. So the odds are that's why he doesn't know anything else about the project because he'd kind of be in show the door on it. So at least that at least that would kind of mesh, but we don't we have no way of knowing what they're. I mean they they are they are such a mess with 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 their slate of movies and they it's like if for if for some reason Aquaman doesn't do well and jumping into Flashpoint seems you know which is really dumb no matter how Flashpointy it actually is kind of concerns you that. I think that the the other Justice Leaguer that's supposed to co-star with him they've mentioned was what Cyborg instead of Cyborg having mm-hmm. his own movie I think they're going to shoehorn him into into uh, Flashpoint when logically your brain says what about Wonder Woman and Aquaman since they're so important and plus you'd have a variation on the theme that you have Aquaman and Wonder Woman who you seemingly like and have them be complete assholes in Flashpoint but. It makes in it's flashpoint just seems like a, a a clusterfuck to begin with to do right away because people don't cause people don't even like the DCU that much right now so why, how why are we gonna care if it gets altered <laughs> and we know and this is not a Barry Allen we like so I I think that I think it's just is likely that this whole DC cinematic universe thing can completely implode as opposed to uh, getting to the point where we're gonna see Tom Cruise be uh, be Hal Jordan. But yeah, I just had to say something about it because like, you know more about movies than I do in terms of like the, the production process and, and all that other stuff. I just found it utterly reprehensible that this was even news. <laughs> like, it's not news. It's not worthy of an article. I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on air, but I've definitely told a few friends. If I had enough money to make my own like geek news site, I'd have articles about actual news and then I'd have like an end of the week or beginning of the week breakdown of non-news like all of this bullshit in one article where so-and-so said they'd like to be in a Marvel movie or something. Of course, so-and-so wants to be in a Marvel movie. They're multi-billion dollar projects. So, you know, of course they want to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, like, so why is that even news? So all these articles, quote-unquote, uh, out there of this, like, barely even news, that is what I would categorize this so-and-so is possibly maybe going to be attached as the director to this film, and, oh, that's even more likely now that Tom Cruise could be Green Lantern. It would be, like, three sentences. So-and-so is supposedly being eyed to be the... Uh, director of the Green Lantern Corps movie. He has previously worked on Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, as people are well aware, has featured Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was previously rumored to be on the shortlist. 
uh, of DC Comics considerations to play Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps movie. Nothing is confirmed. End of story. <laughs> like, why make a big deal out of it? <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. It, yeah. Um, voicemails? Voicemails. All right, we're going to start with the most oldest one first, no. January 29th. No, huh? no, that's the one about Star Wars. Oh, is that, oh that's the one yeah, about Star so, so, so we'll go with February 1st? Why don't we just do reverse order? Let's do Corwin and work back. Corwin, we're going to do you. Um, let's see here. I'm going to pull up Corwin. I'm going to hit play, and you will hear it on my here. Hey, fellas, it's Corwin just calling in to... Make a real quick comment. I'm listening to Mark in episode 310 talk about Simon and how he's kind of uh, useless, I guess is the proper term, or they're not doing anything with him. Um, I think that they kind of lost the point of Simon from the beginning, because remember, when his ring recruited him, the ring was a mix between Hal and Sinestro, who both kind of sent out the ring to find somebody. So I think they missed the point where... Um, he is a little bit in between Hal and Sinestro. So I think they should play up a little bit more of that, that he's more more of a rebel than Hal. I don't know if that actually makes sense because, you know, they, they they really ostracize Sinestro to be evil, but I really think it's more than that. But they they need to play up on the qualities of why the ring chose him. A little bit of Hal, a little bit of Sinestro, or something in between, if you get my drift. All right, what do you guys think about that? Later. All right. Cor- so, Corwin, you've not. <laughs> you ignorant slut. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be our new running gag. Good old SNL back in the glory days when it was funny. Uh, I think he's right. I think it's actually a very nice take in a way that, of course, you could, you could probably put an asterisk on this too. The main reason, perhaps one of the reasons why uh, – this was never approached by Humphreys, as of course he didn't have any background in, in Green Lantern. So he, that that little part of of the whole Simon backstory may very well have, may have kind of slipped completely by him, unless John's literally unless he pointed this out to him, or like they were like co-plotting the first like couple of issues. Uh, I think it's a good point. I think it's a good way to try to make Simon potentially if. To make Simon more interesting, yes. Then you, then again, you run the gamut of making him still. If you're trying to rehabilitate him for making him kind of like be a dick, like how they started him off in this book, you run the gamut of not real, kind of like almost like backtracking from making him seem nicer again, because that means you would kind of have elements of his personality which were not always going to be likable, which will make you interesting. But I would rather they do that because at least you have a just because that he is correct in the sense that that is really the justification from a not from a social political way you know perspective of why we got Simon Baz but an actual in story uh, uh, Green Lantern explanation of why Simon Baz matters hashtag Simon Baz matters <laughs> because it's because because the ring was given almost an impossible task by sent out by two people who were com- who seemingly are completely Night and day from each other, but yet both were telling the other ring to go find find a bear, find a bear that's like me and not like him, and the closest thing they could find, which had met both criteria, was Simon Baz. That is the most interesting thing about Simon Baz's origin. He's correct. So if they if they went back to play up on that a little bit, 
Yeah, I think that would be that would kind of be smart. Yeah, I I find it. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that Corwin wasn't asking. This question was more directed towards Mark, but uh, <laughs> I, I'll I'll just say I, I agree with all that. I think. Isn't it borderline almost insulting when you, I mean, let's, let's face it. Okay, guys, at the time that Simon Baz was created, we were undergoing some racial tension in America. And, and let's face it, Simon Baz was created out of that as a response to that. Um, and it felt more like a token character than any sort of actual character development, something that made sense within the DCU, so on and so forth. Under that guise, that he was created as, as a way to um, for the DC offices to uh, highlight the Muslim community in a positive way, isn't it sort of insulting that the most sinestro thing about this guy is that he's a car thief who carries a gun? <laughs> like... I mean, come on, because there are other aspects to Sinestro's personality, his outlook on life, and so on and so forth, that would make sense within this character called Simon Baz. I'm thinking of all the times I've seen Simon Baz, and I've never seen him say something or do something in which I thought, oh, that's Sinestro. He needs a mustache. <laughs> like, there's a mustache. His, yeah, there's, there's his Sinestro side coming out. Like all I've ever seen of him is he's just he's he's a Hal ish almost maybe Guy Gardner ish sort of character. There's nothing in him that I, that I've ever seen like oh he's tiptoeing the line. Oh his his thinking is off here in a way that sort of aligns with Sinestro. Like I've never had that thought. And I'm talking about not just in in the rebirth era. I'm talking about from the moment this character was created. I've never seen anything in him that I was like, oh, look at the Sinestro. Here's Sinestro here. Like, they they completely missed the boat. Jeff Johns missed his own boat (laughs) on that one. So I don't, I don't know what they, what they're doing with Simon. They, they missed the boat on him. They don't know how to characterize him. They made him an asshole, uh, to build Jessica up. And then that did damage to the character even further. They did this whole, magical healing thing they've neglected to even explain that like it's just the whole simon bass character experiment is just an utter mess i'm not saying that the character doesn't have potential but at this point that potential is just i mean you're gonna have to tell one hell of a story with him (laughs) to make him in any way shape or form beneficial to the dcu right now yeah, I I I tend to agree. I think that the the irony. I I thought about this the other day. There is a certain irony to the fact that we get constant Guy Gardner jokes and ragging on Guy Gardner by Simon Baz. When as we speak, Simon Baz, I would say clearly in the eyes of the fans, is is less is less liked and and more annoying. Than Guy Gardner, <laughs> but yet he makes fun of Guy Gardner. But oh, that kind of you know, I just think that's kind of funny. It's like, uh, but he's yeah. I I don't know. Simon Baz really they're they're, de- they're desperately want to make him relevant, and I don't see how he is. And I think he's just they have they can yeah. try. I don't see how that's going to succeed. I think the quicker he gets out of this book, the better. 
Even if it's just a Jessica solo book, I'd rather read that than Simon. <clears throat> I think he would mean more as a character as a whole is if they, they focused really hard on building him up and then killed him and, 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 and kept him dead. Just really do whatever you can to make him as interesting as you possibly can and then just kill him. Because you're not going to be able to sustain interest in him anymore. They've really shit the bed on that one. So, all right. So February 1st? Yes. All right. So that one we got queued up right here. I'll go ahead and hit play. Well, Aaron Cass, I'm a little confused with uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns number 36. I clearly remember after the end of uh, the first Ion story, when uh, Kyle reignites the battery and makes all the little guardian babies, that uh, he was, Gambit was going to be the father of his race, even wanting them to be called Papu or something like that. But I don't know why he's never felt like a father before. Maybe it's because there's the uncomfortableness that he raised his own wife. That might be some of the weirdness. Have a good one. Bye. All right. So he's referring to, obviously, the power of Ion, which is my wheelhouse. <laughs> so, Green, Lantern, but yes. Green Lantern 150. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Specifically that issue. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, Kyle, at the end of that story, goes into the battery, pours all of the power that he pulled out of the sun uh, that was left over in the sun from Final Night and Hal Jordan. Uh, all that godlike power and the power of the Green Lantern Corps back into the battery, reignites the battery, and with it, recreates the Guardians of the Universe, but instead of making them old little fuckers, uh, <laughs> turns them into little uh, toddlers for Ganthet to raise. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's obviously just more of a joke than an actual comment, but it's also, it, he's also got a good point in terms of continuity like we have no idea what's in continuity anymore uh i i mean as much as i love the power of ion there's so much in there now i don't even know if if it's in continuity anymore i mean does did, did john have a, a brother and a sister did he kill his little sister in a car accident uh how much of that was even possible because alan scott and jade were a part of that story all right so how much of that is in kyle's history anymore so, yeah, I, I, I just think it's, as much as I love the power of Ion, I think it's safe to assume that a very small sliver of what happened in Power of Ion could have possibly happened to Kyle, but probably not to the extent that it actually did in that story. Probably not in continuity anymore. I don't necessarily think this, I don't think it's a major disruption. To, I mean, you could you could, I guess you could speculate there's a lot of things because, just because, again, they when they kind of going back to the new 52, they just really half-assed it as far as coming up with which events did happen. And, I mean, it, they, they need blueprints for this stuff. But, you know, to me, this is just, there's two things here. Either, because much like uh, Humphreys before he started his book, uh, after the Green Lantern rebirth, the uh, DC rebirth, excuse me, when hum, when uh, Venditti got Green Lantern after Johns left, you know he didn't have a Green Lantern background either. 
So it may simply be that he, you know, this that little tidbit just kind of like boom, went right over his head. But more importantly, you know, in both these books, they're kind of not exactly being subtle about where they're seemingly where they want to take you. We we talked about this in in the whole the last in the controller arc. It's clear that that Gan, you know that Ganth is, is making the moves uh, making the moves on Sage and try to get her to be willing to basically get to be, get pregnant. That he wants to have a kid. I'm gonna get you That's pregnant. Right. Uh, that 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 he is being not so subtle about the fact that he wants a biological child of his own. And just like they're kind of not being particularly subtle in in at least pushing Jessica and Simon on a romance path. Which, if they do do that, is probably just so they could eventually break them up and have tension. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, they're not. There's no. There's not a lot of subtlety at times, or, or they, or it's just misdirection where they want you to think something, and then they just say, "Oh no, we were never going to do that, but we wanted you to think that." Ha ha ha. But it simply is just because they they are they are paving the way for guardians to be having kids. Is what. So that's the. Because, yes, logically, his point is absolutely valid. Yes, technically speaking, he should have at least felt like a surrogate father because he was raising his own, raising all the other guardians who used to be his brothers and sisters. But then when Kyle reconfigured their genetic code that was inside his ring that he couldn't that he couldn't really do anything with before as a Green Lantern, but having the power of Ion, he was able to sense it and feel it and shape it and make the guardians over again, that, yeah, Ganther was in charge of raising them to... You know, until the proper time, or until they had no choice when when Parallax came back, uh, the entity, that boom. So yeah, I think that that's a that's a good catch. That is a continuity problem and something that doesn't make sense and has never been never really was addressed. But like we said, continuity is not. They do play fast and loose with continuity, if nothing else. All right, last voicemail. Yes, last voicemail. Okay. Hi, Jimmy Anderson here. I know I'm uh, behind on the episodes. I always stay behind because I stay behind on my reading, and I don't like to be spoiled. But uh, that being said, you've mentioned a couple of times that your voicemail has uh, been kind of thin lately, so I thought I'd call and leave some. I really appreciate the... uh, the discussion of Last Jedi, I fall on the fence, I mean, not on the fence, but on the side of the fence, of that I really, really enjoyed it. I did not go in with any preconceived notions, so I was pleasantly surprised by everything that I saw and had no problems with the direction that it's going. Furthermore, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned that everyone is entitled to their own opinion. And I kind of got a chuckle out of that because, uh, as you guys admitted to, you have been kind of harsh on Green Lanterns in the past. And uh, to hear you say that, I thought I got to, again, I chuckled a little bit. Uh, I, I happen to be one of the people that are buying Green Lanterns. I enjoy Simon Baz, but I am really there for Jessica and her story arc and her situation and everything. And... Uh, I'm not buying core right now, so I do enjoy hearing your recap of those issues so that I can at least keep up on the story. But anyway, you were talking about uh, needing voicemail, so here's your one uh, for the show. Keep it up. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you very much. When I listen to it, I like his email, his voicemail a lot. Uh, one thing that kind of made me – I mean, I don't think he was – it made me scratch my head a little because I think he was mostly being funny with it, but I don't necessarily know 
I don't see a, I don't anyway. I don't see a contradiction with us talking about. I and mean, there was a specific reason, clearly, why we were talking about everybody's being entitled to their own own opinion in general. But certainly related to uh, Last Jedi, because it, it was breaking down into almost like a, a politics thing. And you know, you suck. I, I like this, and you don't, so you suck, and your opinion doesn't matter, kind of thing. I don't necessarily. See well, well, well. I'm sorry to interrupt, but the the reason because uh, I, I remember that pretty that part pretty clearly. We were talking about how like. Some Jedi fans want to boycott the film, make it not part of canon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I was like, look, you're entitled to your own opinion, but just because you have a fandom in this doesn't mean you have ownership of this and have a say in the direction it goes. And that sort of led us into like <laughs> how we're not liking Green Lanterns in which they do A, B, C, D about this <laughs> and that, but you know, that, that, that's sort of where it was headed. Well, if that's actually the way it went down in that particular episode, I th- I was thinking more back, but as a general rule, either way, it doesn't really contradict just because just because we don't like some, us not liking something doesn't mean that you know we are expecting everybody to share the same opinion or we're not we're willing willing to listen to somebody else's opinion. So I guess my only my only reaction when I heard that part of his voicemail was it's not that he said it to me it was kind of implying that somehow that was a contradiction to what we were saying about Last Jedi. But I don't really see any way that it is because we just don't just because we don't like it means we don't or we're not fans of overall of where you know that book is going or the book doesn't mean that we're not willing to listen to other people's ideas about it. Nor does it I mean regardless of whether we're in the majority or minority opinion. But 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 it was but the part about Last Jedi was yeah because it was pretty straightforward. It was everybody everybody who every. Yes, you had the people who wanted to make it sound like, oh, we got to get Last Jedi out of continuity. But on the other side, on the other side, you had everybody saying, oh, if you don't like Last Jedi, you know, you're not a real Star Wars fan, or you're a hater just because you didn't basically drink the Kool Aid that that some people wanted you to drink. But in general, yeah. So, I, I can, I mean, I understand. Some people like Green Lanterns. We don't hate Green Lanterns. It's just it's hard for. Anybody who's read Green Lantern for a long period of time, it's hard to justify that book's existence when so much of the mythos is jammed into one book and a lot of stuff gets overlooked, misplaced, forgotten about, which wouldn't necessarily happen if the wealth was spread around a little bit more. So I – but it's – we don't – we don't hate the material. I mean it's – it's just – you know, we're we're honest, so we're going to always be honest. We don't like it. We – and yes, we try not to have it impact the way we cover it, but sometimes it's in, it's inevitable. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say on that front, so I'm gonna let you right. spin into your Star Wars stuff. Yeah, let's let's do the Star Wars stuff. I'll try to keep it relatively succ- as succinct as I can because there is stuff I want to say. Uh, even though we've gone a little longer than we I think expected, not surprisingly, in this episode. First thing, following up on what we I think something we mentioned last episode, I did buy the hardcover. For of Last Jedi, <clears throat> uh, Last Jedi, I got it today, so I'm gonna start reading it probably sometime tonight. So depending how the the, the blizzard turns out, uh, you know, if everything goes well and power stays on and yada yada, probably this I'll have this sucker done. I would assume by uh, probably by Thursday night. It's only like 300 something pages. Shouldn't take shouldn't take a whole lot of effort to uh, to kill this book. Uh, and if there's anything of relevance in the book that hasn't already been leaked. Like we talked about in that episode too, then I'll mention it. If not, I'll probably just in passing, just give it like a thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of thing related to the book. Uh, related to 
lots of stuff. I've been reading and watching a lot of stuff related to Episodes 8 and Episode 9 lately, so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this, because we because we did talk about a lot of a lot of the things that have come out are all things we did kind of mention in one way, shape, or form when we've talked about Last Jedi, and a lot of this was during our Last Jedi episode, but a lot of the stuff has come out since. And one thing that one thing that's come out, let's talk about stuff that's more concrete. Daisy Ridley did an interview in which she talks about, and I'm sure it was a treatment, not full-bore full bore scripts, because I don't see how Abrams would have had time to do this, since Ryan Johnson was literally beginning to, was writing episode eight before episode seven was finished. So I don't see how they were real scripts. They probably were not, they were treatments. They were story treatments. But according to Daisy Ridley, when we went, like when we talked, we questioned, how could you have a trilogy and not have a plan for what the hell was going to happen? Well, it, supposedly there was a plan. Supposedly Abrams actually plotted out treatments for episode eight and episode nine. Uh, and when Ryan Johnson came on, he and this is kind of, there's a little bit of irony here too, since Ryan Johnson asked Abrams to change the ending of episode seven just so he could begin his episode eight where he wanted to begin it. But pretty much according to what Daisy Ridley has implied or directly stated, that every, more or less everything in episode eight that, that Abrams put in there, Johnson threw out. And by the way, supposedly from what I read, Luke was going to be alive in episode nine. That that was going to be the official handing off of the baton or the lightsaber for Dre to carry on was going to be in episode nine. So Abrams was planning on keeping Luke alive into episode nine. So it was Ryan Johnson who completely decided to kill off Luke from the beginning and boom, boom, boom. And of course, Kathleen Kennedy, who I'll mention also, who approved all this. Now, going along with this, that an there's also a story circulating that the real issue, which led to Colin Trevorrow leaving Episode 9, the real conflict between K Kennedy and him was because he, in his story for Episode 9, had a live Luke and a live Snoke, and they were very important to the story he was telling. And he was going to delve into Snoke's background, and all the stuff was going to be in 9. He had Luke and Leia together and doing stuff with the Force that hadn't been done before, and things like that. And there's some circumstantial evidence to support this, too, because there is a video interview with Mark Hamill, and this obviously must have happened early on after Trevor O got the gig, before people inside Lucasfilm knew that these characters were going to die. But Mark Hamill had this conversation with, with Colin, and he pretty much told, Luke, talk, told Mark Hamill you know, where he was planning on taking Luke, and they pretty much were supposedly on the same page, kind of like how Mark Hamill was basically in the complete opposite page of Ryan Johnson that he supposedly was completely on board with what Trevorrow wanted to do. But Colin Trevorrow did everything he could to get Kathleen Kennedy to give him back a live Snoke and a live Luke, which you also have to assume also means that he, these characters are not allowed to be literally, truly resurrected, or else you would think he would have probably tried that in one of his treatments. Okay, they can't, they're not going to not kill them. Maybe I'll just I'll, I'll try bringing them back. You would think he would have tried that too in a, treat, in a story idea or treatment, and she probably... There's no way I don't see how he wouldn't have done that. So she, so it's probably safe to say, other than in spirit form, we won't see Snoke or Luke, that they are really dead and won't be coming back. But I find it interesting that if that's true, you had Abrams who planned on keeping Luke alive for nine. You had Trevorrow who planned on keeping Luke alive for nine. 
Because Ryan Johnson, who made it clear from the beginning, he was always his, his, the major aim, his major point was to kill Luke. Kind of like how Abrams said back in, when he first was trying to unravel the story for Episode Seven that the question that helped him figure it out was who is Luke Skywalker. While Johnson seemed to be, how do I kill Luke Skywalker? That seemed to be like the, what motivated him. That I just, it's just kind of really, I find it's really really interesting. All that information to me is interesting. That basically, so many people wanted to have Luke alive, and for whatever reason, Ryan Johnson has this effect on Kathleen Kennedy, and I don't quite understand why she would do that. Why, not necessarily literally, but figuratively, business-wise, uh, why she would be bedfellows with Ryan Johnson and, and, and tie herself to this so much? Because it obviously has fucked up this trilogy. We talked about this too. That it really even. Just going forward, it kind of binds the hands of people, which is probably why Abrams got the gig, since he already had an idea of what he was going to do at 9, and even though a lot of the things he maybe maybe wanted to do at 9 is now shot to hell, he still had a blueprint for how to end it, so he probably was the one who could pick up the pieces more than anybody else. But it just makes you, it just, it kind of like, it kind of, because of the effect that Last Jedi had, which has really kind of like demoralized a lot of people, it sucked the enthusiasm out, which, which, our friend Ryan Daly, because I actually listened to his episode, which was really short. Now, once you listen to it, you you knew why. Of Give Me Those Star Wars, which is on The Last Jedi, when he finally released one, which was probably, I think, less than a half an hour. And one of the things he kind of kept talking about was after Last Jedi, for now anyway, his enthusiasm for Star Wars is like is like completely gone. He's going to see the movies. He's going to see Solo and things like that. But right now, it's just kind of like sucked the life out of him. And I think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people had that effect. They, they, from, so when every, and I've talked about this before too, and I'm almost done, that everybody who likes to rag and say, oh, oh, it's Disney, Dis it's Disney owning Star Wars, Disney ruining Star Wars, kind of like the new modern version of George Lucas ripped my childhood stuff. Except at least back then you were blaming the person who was directly in charge. This is not Disney doing this. This is Kathleen Kennedy doing this. She's the one who approved everything Ryan Johnson wanted. She could have said no. She could have said no, we're not doing that. Because why, thinking about it logically, why would Disney want to risk, do something controversial? That's not why they bought Star Wars. They bought the IP, the intellectual property, the brand, the franchise, however you look at it. It was a cash cow with a built-in fan base, and all you had to do was keep feeding the machine, give people what they wanted, and you are guaranteed a gold mine. Why would you do purposely go out of your way to try to sabotage that by upending the apple cart in such a dramatic way? It doesn't really make a lot of sense because she has tons of power, just like Feige has tons of power at Marvel Studios. But I'd be willing to bet you Kathleen Kennedy has more at Lucasfilm. Not necessarily it might, have been, it might be negotiated. You never know. That could have been part of Lucas's deal that whoever is running Lucasfilm has maybe a certain level of autonomy negotiated in. But even if not, because of the how big Lucasfilm is, Lucasfilm probably she Kathleen Kennedy probably has more autonomy day in and day out than even Feige does on what he's doing at Marvel Studios. So this is Kathleen Kennedy's call. She she did this. So it's not Disney. It's Kathleen. It's Kathleen Kennedy. So it's. And maybe some of it was – I mean, maybe we're going to see something in Episode Nine that will surprise us because maybe it ended up becoming personal with him, her and Trevorrow where she was just determined not to give him anything while she might be willing to give you know, Abrams a little bit something like a curveball that you can do this because it's you, but I'm not going to – I wouldn't let this guy do this. I just think it's, it's just really, really interesting 
Because especially if you go back and look at Rogue One, I think if Rogue One, I believe, because people were, I think, upset when supposedly, I believe it was, it wasn't just Kathleen Kennedy, I think it was Disney who actually said, you know, this movie is a little, I, th- I think it was Disney influence that said, this movie's a little too dark, it's a little, un- it's maybe not quite Star Wars-like. So I think Disney would rather play would rather play it safe with Star Wars than do a lot of risky, dangerous, going off on weird tangent kind of things because this is their cash cow. They don't want this to be controversial. They don't want to alienate their fan base. That's not why they bought Star Wars. So I really think people again should move beyond that. But I really think it's interesting that it just shows more for whatever reason, like we kind of speculated before, that no matter what, even though Abrams will be writing two and directing two of the three episodes. Uh, Ryan Johnson is ultimately going to have the biggest imprint on this trilogy because of what he was allowed to do in 8 and kind of like derail seemingly everybody's plan for how this trilogy was going to end. So that's, that's I think, pretty much it. All righty. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about this episode? No thoughts, chat at all? I, I mean, I'm just... Uh, in, terms, in terms of the Star Wars stuff, it's just like... I, I kind of felt like there was some ten- but I feel like it's tension on all sides. And I think it's people to blame on all sides for one reason or another. Uh, is Kathleen Kennedy probably the, 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 the big puppet master behind it all that's screwing everything up and, you know, uh, causing so, so much upheaval in the direction of things? Very likely just, but just given her position, I mean, that's, it's going to be, uh, very likely her. It's just, but I, I get, in terms of, in terms of it, it's just like that, that movie has so much controversy surrounding it and people are still talking about it. And, 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 and in, in so far as anytime Star Wars in general gets brought up now, my brother-in-law goes on a just tedious rant. <laughs> How much he hates The Last Jedi. And I just want him to shut the hell up. And I'm not saying like, no. that's how I feel. It, it like when you're talking no, I, about I, it, I'm I just know, saying I like, I, 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 I I hear so much of it all the time that I'm just like, guys, like there's so much blame to go around. And I, I don't know. I, I'm still enjoying <laughs> the Star Wars franchise and I'm looking forward to the next one and seeing what they do with it. But I'm just, I'm just sort of over, over it at this point, quite honestly. No. And to be fair, under, under normal circumstances, because we have talked about it a lot, even since the main episode and even it's understandable after we do one at the first proper episode sometimes there's tidbits that you know there's almost always tidbits that get left out no matter how long we talk about something it's it's just uh the nature of give and take that there's, there's a point that you have that you wanted to mention and somehow a, a tangent happens in a conversation and then it slips your mind and it hits you like two minutes oftentimes after you get done recording if it wasn't for the fact that so much of this information came out or was was, was coming out in the last week or so i just found it really really interesting and i felt because we kind of, again, we kind of joked about the fact that there were like a, there was one or two ways to interpret what happened, which with you know episode nine being kind of like taken away or from Trevor or him walking away from it. It's like my God, how bad could his ideas have been if Kathleen Kennedy approved everything Ryan Johnson was? Or we, I remember I had said, or maybe it wasn't so easy to uncrack the story for nine after what happened in eight, and seemingly con- considering what was taken away from him. That that seemingly was what the issue was. That that's not that he basically signed on to tell one story, and that story wasn't able to be told, or he wasn't being allowed to tell that story. So if that's true, that's that that is pretty telling. And it's also the idea, at least in a way, it makes it 
whether whether you like Last Jedi or not, in a way it makes it even more head scratching to go the direction that they did when you find out that there actually was a, at least a tentative blueprint for episodes eight and nine to steer the ship in a certain direction. And not only was it a ban- not only what did it was it not followed, but Ryan Johnson was literally able to throw the whole damn thing out and just do whatever he wanted. Which is just again, we talked about this in that episode. It was it's a horrible way to approach a trilogy. You don't do that. And maybe they learned. Maybe in in Kathleen Kennedy's defense, maybe that's what they have learned. They realize that that kind of this approach has, regardless, has been a clusterfuck. Which is why you have the Ryan Johnson announced trilogy. Which of course the problem is, even if he uses completely new characters, Ryan John Ryan Johnson directing this trilogy now automatically is going to be tr- going to be controversial, and the fan base is going to be really divided about it going into it now because of episode 8 but at least Ryan Johnson being given a whole trilogy he's writing and directing his own thing you know that's going to have one clear path the Game of Thrones boys doing their trilogy that's going to have one path so you like to think at least maybe that they've learned their lesson it's just too bad they had to learn their lesson in the proper episodes the proper trilogy to realize that you know you kind of needed one person steering the ship and letting every single director which would have been three under normal circumstances, three directors writing their own movie and taking the movie, the, the, the trilogy in any direction they wanted when it was handed off to them. That was never a smart approach. And I think they, I think they, they may have learned it, but it's probably a little too late now. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, the best way to contact us website is lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on hash and Facebook, excuse me, hashtag GLCast to locate us on either of those. iTunes and Stitcher on both platforms. Please leave us positive reviews. And last but not uh, last but not least, as you heard in this episode, voicemail. We love voicemails. 708 Lantern. So give us a give us some voicemail and you'll be guaranteed to be on the show. Sometimes later than we would have liked, as we captured three months of voicemails tonight. But you. You will be on. So 708 Lantern, let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Mark, happy birthday. And now for something completely different.